0: Who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. Hello, America, and happy Sunday. I can't wait to start our Sunday brunch edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. Hey, before we get started today, I want to ask you a favor. I want to make a plea to you. Many people have come up to me at CPAC when I'm on the street. Um, when I'm waiting in the green room. Is there something we can do? We love Justin News. Is there something we could do to help? And I, I want to give you an idea. If you're serious about that, and you want to help out. It's a small thing, but it can help us do a lot. Right now, we put out 40 to 50 stories a day at Justin News, plus several podcasts. Bowen and Rose, Victor Davis Hanson, John Solomon reports, which you're listening to right now. We have a TV show. We have about 30 to 40 video snippets that we put out a day. Our staff is pushed to the max to give you what we hope is a comprehensive report of the news, as well as some enterprising reporters. Now, since Joe Biden took office, we have had a growing number of people approach us as whistleblowers, from the FBI, the CDC, the NIH, from federal contractors, from the intelligence community. We now have more whistleblowers approaching just the news and our reporters than we have reporters. We don't want to leave any stone unturned. We don't want to have any circumstance where potential wrongdoing or vulnerabilities are left untouched because we didn't have enough reporters. So we're kicking off a drive this next two weeks to try to raise enough money to hire four more reporters and editors to give you not only more content, but to process a lot more of these whistleblowers and these allegations of wrongdoing, which we are uh, think is our obligation as journalists. Listen, we're doing a lot. We're proud of it. I know you like it. That's why you listen and you read. But we can get to four more reporters if we can sell another 10,000 subscriptions to Just the News, the website. So we keep Just the News free for anyone who wants to read it for free, but it does have ads on it. Our subscription club, which is called the VIP Club, is designed to help us for a small amount of money per month. I think it's $4.99 a month or $44.99 a year. You subscribe, you join the club, you get the website ad-free. That's a big benefit, right? No ads. And more importantly, you get a a once-a-month opportunity to join a town hall with me where I answer your questions for an hour to 90 minutes. It's one of my favorite things to do. I learned so much from you and the VIP club members. If you want to join this, if you want to help us get to four more reporters that can come on board and make a difference and dig up more investigative materials and help us expose more of what's going on in the Beltway, in the state houses, in the government agencies that may not be in the American people's best interest, then go to justthenews.com/slash subscribe. Justthenews.com/slash subscribe. Join the VIP club. It's four ninety nine a month or forty four ninety nine a year. You'll get ad free experience. No more ads. No more uh, autoplay videos. Things that you know, every site has to do now to make money. And you'll get the chance once a month to sit with me and have a conversation about the news. We're gonna have our next VIP club members the week after next, you got time to get into that town hall, that private meeting. Just go to justthenews.com slash subscribe, tell your friends. Let's see how many people we can get to join the subscriber club. I'd like to hire four or more reporters. Every dollar that comes in will go directly to paying additional reporter salaries. We're really excited about that. So go check it out, justthenews.com slash subscribe. Get on there. If you're serious, you wanna help us out, it's less than the price of a hamburger for a whole month subscription. You'll get all sorts of benefits, including the monthly opportunity to sit with like-minded people and me, and I'll answer your questions. We have a town hall every month. We do it, we've been doing it for two years. So go to com slash subscribe, go check that out, it means a lot to me if you can help us out. I know everyone's on a tight budget, but if you got a few bucks to spare and you think it'll make a difference, we'll go get some more reporters so that we have more reporters Then we have whistleblowers. Right now, it's the other way around. All right, we've got a fantastic show for you today. We've had some incredible interviews on the TV show. We've done some sidebar interviews. And today, we're going to start off with some blockbusters. We're going to start off first with Congressman Greg Murphy, who is at the forefront of a lot of the most important legislative battles in Congress right now. He has a lot to say this weekend, some really eye-opening things, including the fact that Congress is determined... To pass a law this year that will end dangerous research in the NIH, Things like gain of function, which we now know to be potentially a cause of the COVID-19 pandemic that we just all suffered through the last two or three years. So we're going to start off with Congressman Greg Murphy. There's a lot there. You're going to enjoy it. And he's a very thoughtful man with a lot of influence on legislation in the Congress. Then we're going to go to one of the rising stars of the conservative movement, Uh, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson of North Carolina is going to be running for governor. He's going to try to flip the blue state house in North Carolina red because most of the rest of the state is red, but not the governor. Has a lot to say about parents' rights and what's on tap in the future for the conservative movement and the party. And then we're going to go to another bright star. She burst onto the scene last year when she unexpectedly captured a congressional seat in Southern Texas that had been in Democratic hands for decades, for decades. She was the first Mexican-born female member of Congress. She's Maya Flores, and she's here to talk to us about the opportunity conservatives and Republicans have to reach out to Latinos and Latinas and make a difference, build the coalition. She is boldly saying that Latinos and Hispanics want to move to the Republican Party and there needs to be more engagement to make that happen. After that, we're going to go to one of the founding members of the Freedom Caucus in the House. Andy Beggs, he's always on top of things, including the border and the budget and so much more. He'll join us. We're really excited about that. We always get some great news out of that. We'll take a little detour when we get a chance and go to the issue of national security. We had a good conversation Friday with Fred Flights and Victoria Coates. Well, today we're going to have one with James Carfano, former lieutenant colonel, in the military, and now one of the premier national security experts at the Heritage Foundation. He always has some big news for us and he'll join us as well. We're excited about that. There'll be a lot of conversation about what he had to say and where we're headed with that. So be sure to tune in with that. We've got a great Sunday show. We're all stacked up, ready to go. So let's take a quick commercial break. When we come back, our first interview will be with Congressman Greg Murphy, and then we'll follow up with Maya Flores and of course, Mark Robinson, what a good way to start. Andy Beggs and James Terrafano. What a great lineup. Right after these messages. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. add lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's dot take ncom and enter the promo code justnews15. That's the promo code justnews15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.lean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a health care provider. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say.
1: Welcome back, everybody. We are so grateful for when we can have this guest on because of how he's been able to translate complex legislative issues into common sense conversations, especially with respect to COVID. He is an integral part of the powerful House Ways and Means Committee, and he serves as one of the co-chairs of the GOP Doctors' Caucus, Congressman and Doctor. Greg Murphy joins us now, Congressman. It's great to have you back on the show, sir.
2: Thank you so much. Great to see you guys.
1: Obviously, the big news of the day, especially regarding COVID, actually the big news of the last few weeks. Uh, but last week, the Senate unanimously voted to require Director of National Intelligence, Avril Haines, to declassify information, the origins of COVID. D- were you surprised that there were that many inquiring minds in the Senate? And do you think that that's going to be reflected in the House?
2: A little bit. I will say that, Amanda. I I was slightly surprised. And I think the Democrats are finally getting on board to the fact that what has been a flame uh, burning for two years has now turned into a wildfire where we're actually being able to trace things back. I think there'll be the same um, temperature here um, in the House to get this done. And we need to know the American people, and honestly, the world for that matter, deserve to know exactly what happened as best as we can. I don't know that we ever will happen completely because the WHO gave China 10 months to clean that lab and to scrub everything. But you know, there's so many things that we can trace this back to, um, where we find out that this really um, came from the Wuhan lab in China.
0: Yeah, so, and it looks like people early on really suspected that, including some of Dr. Fauci's um, colleagues. And then he very quickly worked to try to create a counter narrative to scare anyone off from it. Uh, those who went in along with him got grants, those who didn't got ostracized. How concerning is it, Dr. Fauci's role in trying to shift around the potential truth there?
2: You know, John, you know, when I first met Dr. Fauci, and it's been three years ago, um, this was before the pandemic. I actually congratulated him for the work that he did on HIV um, you know, 20, 30 years ago. But the fact that he has manipulated this data um, is, a, is a slap in the face to uh, medicine as it is. And so, I, I mean, I still practice, but the, the trust of the American people in the institution of medicine itself, I give singularly to him and then maybe some to Dr. Walensky for the mistrust that the American public now have in medicine, in the CDC, in the NIH, and the institutes of medicine. The fact that he twisted the truth uh, because he did not want the the nation to know, and the world for that matter, that NIH indirectly was funding uh, gain-of-function research in this lab, and the fact that he ostracized other scientists, smart individuals uh, for, for basically pointing out that this has pretty much come from that lab, just speaks to his character or lack thereof, and honestly speaks to his arrogance, his flat-out arrogance that uh, that he has had through this entire pandemic. But it's hurt the reputation of medicine. And as a physician, I honestly take that personally. This is the career I've devoted my life to. And the fact that he has ruined this, the trust in the nation, um, as far as physicians and in medical institutions, I do take personally.
1: Absolutely. And, and I don't think that there is anything in American history that has been more damaging to the scientific community, especially the medical community. Um, as far as getting answers about this, I know that many Americans probably want to see Dr. Anthony Fauci behind bars, especially folks who have actually lost people, people, family members who died. Um, but I think the transparency is the key to all of that. Is this the first step in, in maybe restoring some faith in the medical community?
2: manda I hope so, I sure do, because if you look back and, and you know in publicly sourced documents, we've gone back and, and put the puzzle together. Uh, there's something called a BSL four lab, which is the most highly technical lab, the most highest security where you work with the the highest um, and most virulent pathogens, the most content, the most uh, infectious pathogens, and this is this particular virus. Back in the Wuhan lab, the the French originally started to build that lab for them. These walls have three feet thick, um, so many safeguards. But the Chinese came in and said, no, we don't want this. We want to build one of our own that we can actually export. And this was found out they have a few millimeters of steel and some of the other protections that just made made this a sieve. And so it's come to be, you know, basic and scientific uh, truth that it came from that lab Most likely, in my opinion, accidentally, some worker got this on them or whatever, went to the wet market in Wuhan, and then it was spread. Sadly enough, you know, this is where Fauci, I'm sure, realized this, but then realized back, steps back and says, wow, this is where the nation's going to point to me, and I'm going to be incriminated because I'm funding this lab. And so now we're going to divert this other theory to say, no, it's a natural theory. It came out of the wild And, you know, if you really had a brain during this, and I've said before, what looks like a duck smells like a duck is a duck. And this is where, you know, now we're getting to to the real truth of the matter. And hopefully this will restore the trust that the American people have in their positions and have in medicine. There is a long way to go. A lot of damage has been done by this particular individual.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And so I want to ask about, even before this COVID lab leak theory There had been prior leaks in the Chinese program particularly, but in also other programs that NIH has funded. Uh, Is there an effort underway beyond getting us transparency, which is going to be so greatly welcomed by the American people, to start to put some additional congressional strictures on research that can be dangerous? I
2: I, I believe so, John. Here is the the difficulty that we're working with, the whole gain of function purpose. I'm just telling you what it is, whether I agree with it or not. The whole gain of function purpose was to try to stay ahead of naturally occurring um, contagions, which should cause some of this, you know, SARS, uh, MERS that came out and, and killed a lot of people in the first part of the decade. So the whole purpose of that was this, but the fact that he was allowing money from NIH, from the, from the U.S. taxpayers to go to a lab that did not have proper safeguards is very, very troubling. And so we are going to put some, uh, some safeguards on the way that this funding occurs and to make sure where research is done in the name of science um, should be done in a safe manner such that it doesn't lead uh, to a world pandemic where 20-plus million people died because one individual most likely leaked something out of that lab. Absolutely, absolutely, we're going to put guardrails up against this type of nonsense from occurring again. So important.
1: Congressman, North Carolina is known for having a lot of research and development firms, especially with respect to science and medicine. I think Raleigh is, is considered a hub in our country with a lot of research being done there. But there's another uh, another thing that is happening in North Carolina that you guys are becoming known for, unfortunately, and that's the opioid epidemic. Last year, 109,000 Americans died as a result of the opioid crisis. It's pouring across our, uh, our southern border at, at record rates, I'm sorry, 107,000. Um, I know that this is probably going to end up being a huge issue for North Carolinians going into next year's general election. Is this something you think is on the forefront of everyone's mind in your state?
2: Absolutely. And and Amanda, if you go back and you look at the whole history of the opioid epidemic, it started in the 90s, early 90s, when uh, medicine physicians, we were pushed that we were not treating pain well enough. And it started out really with the, the influx. Um, of Oxycontin because the Purdue pharma came in and basically lied to physicians. This is going to treat pain and not be, uh, uh, not be addictive. Well, we soon found out that that was not the case. And so, you know, five, six, seven, eight years ago, um, early part of the decade, uh, American medicine um, started to say, okay, look, we need to stop these overprescribing of what we've done. And so, about four or five years ago, we saw the first decrease in the number of opioid deaths in a very, very long time. Sadly enough, what we stopped in overprescribing of legal medicines has now been taken over by illicit fentanyl, the vast majority of which is made, and guess what, in China. And so now, essentially, we are at war with China because they're producing so much of this illicit fentanyl that, by the way, comes across the border in, uh, in Mexico through our very, very porous border to the tune of, yes, well, I mean, the Biden administration and Democrats love to say, well, this, we're catching record amounts. Well, that's the case. But when you're tripling the record and the price of fentanyl, this is the key statistic that we know that so much is getting into this country. The price of fentanyl um, now on the streets of the, of the country is half of what it was three years ago. Wow. So now we're going to see, yes, you saw 107,000 deaths a year prior. And my, my bet is we're going to be close to 120,000 um, this this year, or actually last year. And so it's a worldwide epidemic. I mean, it's a it's a national, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, epidemic. And the Biden administration has been absolutely silent on this because I think yeah. one of the primary reasons is our southern border. And so
0: they're complicit, right. so, many, so many deaths in this country. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson from North Carolina, up next. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation, the way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends, who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break, our exclusive interview with North Carolina Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, one of the rising stars of the conservative movement right now.
1: North Carolina Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, it's great to see you in person. Great to be here at CPAC, you spoke earlier.
3: Absolutely, thank you for having me here, it's a pleasure.
1: We love having you and I just, I wanna dive right in because we were just having a conversation about abortion and on the other side, of course, pro-life in North Carolina. You guys are at 20 weeks right now. What do you see for the future of this?
3: Well, you know, they're having a healthy debate about what's going to take place. Uh, We're going to try to make some steps to push that 20 weeks back. But personally, I would love to see a heartbeat bill laid on the table. I think that saves the maximum amount of lives. Uh, But along with that heartbeat bill, I would like to see some legislation passed. that's going to short our adoption process, uh, going to fix some of the issues we have around child care and health care. You know, all those issues that drive people to the abortion clinic. If we want to be pro-life, we're really going to have to start showing some love Uh, to those children, those mothers, those fathers after that child is born to make sure that they have what they need to succeed after that child is born. So I would love to see a heartbeat bill put out there, but I'd also love to see some legislation passed that will shore up some of those things that uh, lead to abortion to begin with.
0: Yeah, changing the culture is such an important part of that fight. Lieutenant Governor, you've had many great moments on video. I know you had a couple in there just a few minutes ago. But a few days ago, we heard this amazing story. Somebody came up to you and said, Sir, why do you do what you do? Your answer was epic. Could you remind everyone what you said when they, that man asked that?
3: Well, you know, uh, the individual asked me why. You know, he said, "Why do you want to be the governor?" Uh, you know, I just kind of thought to myself. I said, "You know, it's not about want. It's not about want. It's about a sense of duty. It's about a sense of of, of purpose. About knowing that your nation, your state needs folks to step up and step into those roles right. uh, to be the servant leader. Uh, and that's what we have to do." Often, you know, just like our soldiers, our our police, our border patrol agents do, our teachers do, those folks aren't doing that necessarily out of a desire to be rich and famous. They're doing it out of a desire to serve their fellow man. And I believe that's what elected officials need to get back to as well. Amen to that.
1: Sir, the first time I saw a clip of you on the Internet, at the end of it, I thought to myself, that man means business. And when it comes to law and order, I know that you mean business. I saw a a Pew Research poll that came out, I think maybe yesterday, that found that minority Democrats are twice as likely to rank crime at the top of their list of issues than their white counterparts. Right. Now, it's often that you hear white liberals out there saying crime is not an issue. You're just imagining things. It's, it's a gaslighting convention. Mm-hmm. It, it's not that way in the minority oh, no, community. It's
3: not. It's not. And if you, if you notice, these bad policies when it comes to public safety, who does it hurt worse? These bad policies on our border. Who does it hurt worse than first? It hurts those folks that are in those struggling neighborhoods, those minorities, because oftentimes those criminals will go into those neighborhoods and ply their wares first. So it hurts first and worst in the very neighborhoods that these folks say that they're all about protecting. And the proof is in the pudding. They're not protecting anybody. And we need to get back in the camp of law and order and make sure that public safety is for everyone, uh, not just those that can afford to have walls around their homes.
0: Uh, Such an important point. Sir, uh, the North Carolina is a red state normally, but the governor's been blue for a while. Yes. You're in the, the ring for 2024. What's it going to take to flip all of North Carolina red? Well, you know, since 2010,
3: uh, conservatives in our state have shown what they can do. Yeah. Uh, again, proof is in the pudding. We, uh, uh, in, before 2010, we were $3.4 billion in debt to the federal government. Our right. economy was stagnant. Uh, conservatives took over. Now we're no longer in debt to the federal government, not one dime. We have uh, uh, billions of dollars in surplus every year. We're the number one business destination in the, in the nation. Uh, uh, if we continue on that track, folks are going to uh, finally wake up and realize conservatism has the answer. The folks that are running this state right now, our legislature, uh, they have the answers to make sure that North Carolina can, rem- can remain great and be even right. greater in the future. So we've got to send that message out, and I believe that North Carolina's going to wrap itself up in red pretty soon here. There are going to be a lot of
0: people happy with you as a governor, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> we're,
3: we're, we'll see about that, yes sir.
1: Do you think that it, in that instance North Carolina represents a microcosm? Because we, we've seen some, some rifts in the National Party, in the Republican mm-hmm. Party. Is that something that the National Party should use as a prototype for, for unifying the party?
3: Absolutely. If there's one thing that we need in our party is, is party unity. Oftentimes, we, one of the things that hurts us the worst is infighting. Yeah. Uh, and again, I think some of that sadly goes back to what we just talked about. Right. People wanting to be a congressman or senator instead of understanding this is not about what you want. This is about doing things that are going to save your nation. And I always tell folks, we've got to look at the substantive problems that we are facing. Our open border, the crisis with law enforcement, the crisis in education, Uh, the perilous times that we find ourselves standing on with our safety, our security, our our economy. We've got to let that that be the beacon call for us to come in and serve to make sure that we continue
0: to to preserve this constitutional republic. And that's what people are looking for. They want servants, not uh, rock stars and actors. and That's right. right. Um, Sir, there's a lot of talk about what Republicans need to do nationally to... Show the country that putting the, uh, the trust in their hands will actually make this country better. What advice would you give the folks here today, the folks on stage that might want to be president? What's the key things to capturing 2024 nationwide?
3: Well, just to start difference, stark differences between conservative policies and principles and leftist policies and principles. Notice what I said. I didn't say liberal right. Right. policies right. and That's principles. Right. I said leftist policies and principles. It's leftist policies that are driving some of our cities into ruin. It's leftist policies that have our border open. When uh, we had conservative policies running this nation, our border was secure, we were energy independent, and our economy was firing on all cylinders. If we want safety, security, great education, if we want all those great things, we need to adhere to some solid principles. And I would submit to you that those solid principles uh, rest with conservatives. Absolutely. I love that.
1: I love that. Something... Interesting, I would say, happened in the last three or four days. You know, I I think a lot of people associate crime ridden cities with Democrats. So so often Democrat leadership for decades and decades, super Democrat majorities in in places Mm -hmm. like this. Uh, But this D.C. crime bill, which is. I think it would be unbelievably damaging to D.C., the Mm -hmm. the softening on crime. I think that that just just touches the surface. Joe Biden broke with Democrats on it. Mm -hmm. Were you surprised?
3: I am. I'm not. Because Joe Biden is realizing that the people of the United States of America are not buying this anymore. Yeah. They're not buying it. I'm just going to use the word. They're not buying this garbage anymore. No, they're not. They are seeing people literally losing their lives because our border is open, losing their lives because we have bail reform that is allowing the the, the courthouse door to be a revolving door of criminal activity. And they're not putting up with it anymore. He's waking up and realizing that his party's defund the police moniker is, is not only a losing proposition for his party. It's a losing proposition for life on the streets. Yeah. So, of course, he's going to abandon and try to do the right thing. But it's too little, too late.
0: Yeah, yeah that's for sure. So we got to get a minute left. we got to throw it back to Ed and Karen. But I want to ask this. You're champion of the First Amendment. You're champion of the Second Amendment. You've championed parents' rights in the most powerful of ways How big an issue is that, and what more needs to be done nationwide to make sure parents don't have to co-parent with the United
3: States government? That's exactly right. The number one thing, well, when you talk about the United States government, if I had my way about it, we'd go to D.C. and shut down that education building. Yes. The United States uh, uh, government has no business being in the education uh, systems of the states. That's number one. Number two, you cannot have a great education system if parents are not allowed to be in control of their children's educational destiny. That's the number one component of a great education system. Uh, The call has already gone out. We've seen parents all across the nation rise up and say, hey, we want better, and if you can't deliver deliver better, we're gonna find better. As legislators, we need to make sure that the vehicles exist for folks to decide how their children are educated.
0: All right, folks, don't touch that phone. Don't touch those iPods. Right after the commercial break, Maya Flores here to talk about the opportunity that conservatives have with Hispanics in the next election. Folks, if you get your wallet stolen or your cell phone or your car, we know what it is. It's old-fashioned theft. It's crime. We know it. Criminals now have a new way to steal our most valuable asset, our homes. at Factormeals.com. One more time, Factormeals.com slash Just News 50. Use the Just News 50 code and you will get 50% off your first order. We've had a lot of conversation all week long on the southern border from the tragic episode involving that South Carolina family abducted uh, by the cartels to some uh, stunning losses in the courts for Joe Biden. And of course, uh, a lot of conversation about the White House saying we're never going to consider uh, naming the car- drug cartels as foreign terrorist organizations. Well, our first guest tonight. She not only made history; she turned the border into a winning issue in the state of Texas. In Republican, her candor, her clarity about what America needed to do to stop the insanity, drove her to victory in a te- uh, in a congressional district that had been Democrat well for a very long time. Joining us right now, the former Congresswoman from the great state of Texas, Myra Flores. Myra, great to have you on the show.
4: Thank you so much for having me. Uh, When I think of
0: that extraordinary campaign, it was just a little over a year ago, uh, you brought the border home. You showed people why it wasn't just a Texas issue. Every state in America became a border uh, state. Now everybody's talking the way you were talking a year ago. And yet this administration doesn't seem to have changed any of its policies. It's doing sleight of hand things. How frustrating is it it to hear the president still suggest everything's fine and hunky-dory at the border?
4: It's personally very frustrating. My husband is a Border Patrol agent, and, you know, I I took his safety for granted for a long time. And under this administration, I'm worried about him and all our Border Patrol agents every single day. And our Border Patrol agents, they're our family, but they're exhausted. They're tired. They're not able to track down the thousands and thousands of people coming in our country illegally because the Biden administration's policies encourage people to come here to this country illegally knowing that it's empowering the Mexican cartel. Yeah,
1: so important. Uh,
4: I want to ask you about something that is very near and dear to my
1: heart. Um, I, I love talk radio, although for 40 years, I think people have been telling us that talk radio is a thing of the past. But conservatives mm-hmm. continue to revive it year after year after year. It is still a staple in our news consumption. Um, I know that you are participating in that battleground as far as talk radio for Latino voters. Talk to us about that.
4: I'm so proud to be a part of Americano Media. We focus on the Spanish-speaking community to educate uh, the Hispanic community on the political platforms. What does the Republican Party stand for? What does the Democrat Party stand for? Giving them the information that they needed to make an educated vote. And we put out the truth. Which is all we want, right, from the media. We just want honesty. We don't want to be taking advantage. And unfortunately, the Hispanic community has been taking advantage for far too long from the Democrat Party.
0: Yeah, that is a a trend line I think is going to play out even more pronounced in the 2024 election. Republicans are making inroads. They're starting to have a real conversation with the Latino community. What advice would you give your former colleagues in the House, the future presidential candidates? for the Republican Party to close more voters, to invite more Hispanic voters into their coalition?
4: Don't be afraid to talk about faith, especially our faith in God. Don't be afraid to talk about family values, because that is who we are. It's in our DNA. And, and for us, our values and the faith that we have in God is first. We will not put those values aside for no political party and i think that just like the far left embraces the devil now we need to embrace uh, our faith as well and i know that we are the majority but because they're louder you know a lot of people think that they're the majority when i know that people of faith and of god are the majority in this country so we need to be loud and clear we can no longer stay silent so i asked the republican party be loud and be brave and have the backbone to stand on uh, on our biblical values that made this country so great that's right congresswoman um
1: I, I live in Los Angeles, so there are very large Hispanic communities here, the fabric of which are woven together in this city in such an incredible and beautiful way. Uh, Mexican, El Salvador, Guatemalan, I mean, it, the list goes on and on. And one thing I hear from these mama bears within the Hispanic community is is their their disgruntledness with the parental rights issues, especially with respect to transgenderism and the gender bender teachers that we see a lot in uh, LAUSD here in Los Angeles. Angeles County. Parental rights is going to be a huge issue in 2024. It was in 2022, especially with respect to Miami turning for turning out for Ron DeSantis. In the Hispanic community, is that also going to be at the top of the list?
4: Absolutely. I'm currently working with a TPPF here in Texas to pass school choice. We have been talking to the Hispanic community about the importance of parent empowerment and that they have the right to choose what's the best education for their children. And I have not met anyone in South Texas that is against school choice. The people want school choice. And I believe that we have the right. And school choice is not against public schools. I actually believe that public schools will be more empowered and that they will be better because competition is actually good. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, these are our kids. They're not the government kids. And we should have the the power to choose what's best for our children, especially education. And we want them to go to school to learn and not to be indoctrinated. So I'm very proud to be working with TPPF. And I believe that we will pass school choice uh, in Texas. And if anyone votes against school choice, they're voting against their constituents.
0: Yeah, that's a dangerous practice. Might want to stay away of that if you're a politician on that. Um, I want to ask about this real quickly. This is really a, um interesting thing. We know Democrats are going to ramp up um, various types of uh, initiatives, constitutional amendment initiatives to enshrine abortion in hopes that it will drive out voters. I want to ask you about flipping that around. Should Republicans in all the battleground states try to get a parents' rights initiative on the Constitution to enshrine parents' rights in the state constitutions around this country, what would that do to excite parents, Hispanics, and others who might not otherwise vote?
4: We need parents' rights. We need it now more than ever. And I believe that we shouldn't allow the far left to take that away from us. And we ran on parental rights, so now let's make it happen and we will hold anyone accountable that doesn't uh, do what they said they were going to do when they ran. And they ran on parental rights, they ran on border security, and we expect these things to happen. That is why we gave the Republican Party the majority. So now give us the results.
0: Yeah, important.
1: Congresswoman, for so long, uh, when conservatives and liberals have this conversation about illegal immigration, conservatives assert that it costs taxpayers money. Democrats and liberals say, well, no, they end up paying more in taxes, uh, that it it outweighs any of the costs to the American people. But we now have this definitive report out from the Federation of American Immigration Reform, and they found that illegal immigration costs the average American taxpayer $1,156 annually. may not sound like a lot, but that's a couple months' worth of gas. That's groceries. Um, aren't there much more worthy causes for the American uh, taxpayers to be paying out for?
4: Absolutely. But this is why border security is so important. You know, not only is it hurting the American people, but it's also empowering the Mexican cartel. I want immigrants to be able to come to this country, but I want them to do it legally, just like I, just like I did, just like my parents did. I don't want no child to go through the abuse and the trauma that they go through when they cross illegally into the country. I want more little girls like Myra to be able to come here to the United States and accomplish the American dream. And why not also run for office? But the reality is that children are being brought into the United States illegally to be sold into child sex trafficking and to be exploited. You know, no one is talking about the children that are being exploited and we need to hold everyone accountable that is involved in child sex trafficking and that is involved in exploiting these children because I don't care where they're from. That's not what we stand on. We criticize China for exploiting children, but it's actually happening in our country right now. Where is the outrage from the far left?
0: Yeah, it is a scourge that often goes unspoken, and that is a, uh, in itself, a, a detriment to the United States not talking about, not focusing on it. Uh, Congressman, I want to ask about this. Uh, we all have budgets. We all run families. If we run out of money, we cut our budget. Uh, uh, Joe Biden just put a $6.8 trillion budget on the table, uh trillion dollars more than last year. We got inflation, we got rising interest rates. Uh, When do Democrats realize they have a moral obligation to this country to start uh, uh, spending only what we have in our wallet at the time?
4: Well, Democrats and Republicans have a a moral obligation. Because the American people right now are in a budget. And the government needs to be also in 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 a budget. It's our money that they're spending. And they're spending money that we don't have. They're sending billions of dollars to foreign countries that hate us, and also sending you know, billions of dollars to Ukraine to protect their borders, but yet we're not protecting our own border. It's time to put the American people first and, and be top priority.
0: All right, folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Congressman Andy Biggs will be joining us. Don't want to miss out. He's always colorful, has a lot to say about the border, the budget, and so much more. who shares your love for our great nation. Don't miss out on this chance to make a difference from AMAC. Join today at amac.us justnews. That's amac.us slash justnews and extend the invitation to a friend or family member for free. What a great opportunity. Across America, BP supports
5: more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and... Producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at BP.com slash investing in America.
0: He was one of the earliest to sound the alarm about the IRS, at least related to those 87,000 agents. Today, he's on the front line of many of the Oversight Committee hearings, including... The effort to start to figure out what are we going to do with all that debt and the debt ceiling. Joining us right now from the great state of Arizona, Congressman Andy Biggs. Congressman, great to have you back on the show. Thanks, John. Thanks, Amanda. Good to be with you. I want to start. I know we love to talk about the border. We love to talk about weaponization. I want to start with uh, the state of our economy. We're facing that debt ceiling decision soon. Growing number of economists saying the debt itself, the massive debt that Joe Biden is still piling on, is actually a threat to our, our future economy in the near term. Not the long term, near term. I know you have a lot of thoughts about that. Where is this headed?
5: Well, you know, I, I actually did uh, introduce legislation to just acknowledge that it's a secure, national security threat to have such a huge debt. And what I think most people need to understand is we have record tax revenue. Um, but with this tax revenue, we still fall short about 100 to $120 billion a month in, in revenues. In other words, we spend $120 billion more every month than we bring in. And that means that you're looking at about $1.2 to one point four billion trillion dollars in growth in your national debt every year and this so uh, this administration is saying they want to um, they want to, to borrow somewhere in uh, north of three and a half trillion dollars for just for the next two years mm-hmm. instead of trying to rein in our spending the problem with that is a couple there's a lot of problems but not the least of which is that you crowd out um, uh, what government should be doing to pay for your interest. So the interest is, is poised to become uh, uh, our first or second highest budget item. It's, it's a few years off yet, but it's if we keep going this way, that's where it's going to go. The second thing is you prevent good money. I mean, uh, bad money chases bad money. And, and this is bad money. Good money actually creates jobs and productivity. And you're basically just flushing and setting aside this money. And, and that's, that's part of our problem. And uh, this administration doesn't want to deal with the, the make the hard decisions on saying, how about maybe we're going to have to reduce some spending on the non-defense, non-discretionary. Maybe even have to look at defense and say, we know that there's a, a massive amount of waste and duplication. Maybe we could save 50 to 100 billion dollars a year in the in uh, DOD. And, and and these are hard conversations, yeah. but they're conversations that you have to have if you're going to preserve this nation. Yeah, we've got to get
0: serious. That's about.
1: right. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's a there's a fair amount of concern. You bring up the issue of national security. If if someone had a credit card and they were consistently month after month spending more than they were paying off, their reputation as someone who acquires credit uh, would be completely trash. And they, if they applied for another credit card, they would get denied. How does this affect us as a country on a global scale? Because I know with respect to national security, reputationally, we, we are taking hit after hit, year after year, every time that debt and deficit creeps up.
5: Yeah, so that's a that's a great point, and one of the problems is that uh, you have to borrow money. We have to borrow money, and, and when people don't trust us anymore, they're not going to lend money, um, and so that's a huge problem. But the other problem, the other problem is for us, is our our dollar is devaluing, and, and as that devalues, it forces inflation uh, to go up, and and so everything's going to cost more and you know we we're we're fortunate right now because as bad as our dollar is in value most other currencies are worse and so we're still able to generate a a decent economy but that doesn't always last and and anthony Blinken just announced yesterday that uh, they're going to have to raise the interest rate the prime rate uh more than he anticipated And that's to try to deal with the inflationary pressure. But the real inflationary pressure is, as some of John's economist friends are telling him, is the fact that that, uh, the the federal debt continues to grow at a ridiculous rate.
3: Yeah,
0: it's amazing. It really is amazing. 80% uh, of our debt has been accrued just in the last two decades in a nation of 246 years. That is just unforgivable. Congressman, I want to talk a little bit about restoring the powers of Congress. Uh, Over the last few years, the administration has run roughshod. You can go back to 15. We've been in Syria since 15 without a declaration of war powers from Congress. I know you're working on that with Matt Gaetz, and there's a vote coming up. In addition, you have uh, the administration negotiating with who, maybe subjecting the United States to who and its authority, the World Health Organization and future things. It seems like some members of Congress in both parties are waking up saying, Hey wait a second. Time for Congress to reassert its authority under the Constitution. Tell us why that's important and what's likely to happen on those two votes.
5: Well, so, so I actually introduced legislation to remove us from who? You did. The World Health Organization. And and the reality is 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 we have we're constantly fighting to keep our our uh, our strength. The, the Congress is supposed to be the most powerful branch why? Because we're closest to the people. But well, as we allow bureaucracy and the executive branch to take over, um, they they continue to go willy nilly and they get bigger and bigger. And that's part of the reason our debt's so high. But think about Syria, um, they, in our debate today, the people who wanna stay in Syria were relying on the 2001 AUMF, uh, the authorization to use military force. And as you both know, that 2001, uh, th- uh, I'm gonna say just AUMF, that was designed to allow us to go after Al Qaeda and the terrorists that caused the attack on on the tw- on the towers and the Pentagon and in Pennsylvania. So that's what we were supposed to be doing with that, and somehow that morphed into um, attacking Syria. Uh, And uh, and at the time in 2011, Obama is saying we need to basically uh, ask Assad to step down as the president of Syria. In other words, regime change. That is not what we're supposed to be doing. And so these individuals are trying to to rely on that, even though every one of them acknowledged we don't have authority. We we the AUMF, the authorization to use military force is vague. It's outdated. It's broad. It's it's. But whatever it is, I can tell you this, it does not give us authority to be going and intervening all over the world. That constitutionally requires a vote of Congress, and we're not seeing that happen. And so we become a nation without law, and that's that's part of our problem, whether it's the border or or high crime in the cities, is we're no longer
0: a nation of, of law and blind justice. Yeah, so important, Congressman. I know you've got to run to a vote. We're going to let you go. But thank you for joining us. A lot of important decisions on (laughs) Congress's plate the next few days. We're going to be covering them really closely.
5: Thanks, you guys. Thanks.
0: Good to be with you. All right, folks, we're going to have a good conversation about national security. Good follow-up from what Indy Biggs just told us. James Carafano, retired lieutenant colonel in the military, currently one of the premier national security experts at Heritage. Up next... (laughs)
1: Welcome back again, everybody. We have seen some very concerning headlines in the world of international diplomacy, especially as President Biden continues to send taxpayer dollars over to Ukraine, just making it rain in the Ukraine. And while the North Korean dictator's family is warning of being ready to act against our country and South Korea, it shouldn't come as a surprise as the most recent annual threat assessment released by DNI shows that China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea uh, as present and complex threats to our homeland. Make sense of what really could take place and what may be far-fetched as for now is retired Lieutenant Colonel James Carafano of the Heritage Foundation. Colonel, um, I, I, I'll be honest, it feels like especially with respect to these four countries, Iran, Russia, China, and North Korea, uh, it feels like we're just playing whack-a-mole. Each one of them has different threats that they impose upon our country. Do we need to triage? Who is the biggest threat?
6: Well, this is uh, this is like going to the doctor and saying, and the doctor says, "Hey, you know, uh, you've got cancer, you know, a bad heart, and a brain aneurysm. Which which one do you want me to cure?" It's like, well, they can all kill me, doc. So nobody is going dis- to dispute that China is the defining threat to the United States in the 21st century. They are basically the Soviet Union with money, and hmm. and and a lot of people don't talk about this, but. China is building out its nuclear deterrent. So it 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 will be a nuclear threat on par with the capabilities of the United States and Russia in actually the very near future. So there's no question but 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 it, it gets to the point though that all these threats matter because they all had this can do the same thing is is they can threaten the stability of the parts of the world that are really the buffer and and the way the United States connects with the rest of the world. So a stable Western Europe, a stable Middle East, a stable Indo-Pacific. These are the things that stand between us and World War III. And and we focus on Russia and China and Iran, and North Korea, for the simple reason because they're the people that threaten the stability of these regions the most.
0: Yeah, yeah very clear and. Uh, the China-U.S. relations has always been a little bit complicated. Uh, oftentimes the Chinese say nice things and then they keep on their 200-year plan to erode our authority and our, our supremacy as the world's number one superpower. But in the last couple of days, some of the harshest words I've seen lobbed by Chinese officials in a long time. What do you think was behind those sentiments? And is it a sign that things are going to get a lot colder between Beijing and Washington and their Well,
6: I mean, there's a couple of things going on here. One is we ought to to be really clear. If anybody who has not been tracking the relationship between the United States and China the last 10 years and looking at the Chinese rhetoric and and going back into their doctrine and plans, China is America's enemy. Let's just be clear on that. This is not about managed competition. This isn't about trying to figure out how to get along. This is a country who sees that their rise – and security and power can only come at the expense of diminishing the United States. They're our enemy. That's just that's just a fact, and we need to learn to live with that. Having said that, we have seen a China in the last couple of years that, in terms of their public statements, is very flexible and adaptive. Because it's all about what's for China. So some some days, you know, like Tony Soprano, you know, some days they're your friend, you know, they're your buddy, and the next day, you know, they hit you over the head. So they constantly are shifting their rhetoric to, 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 to see what they can use to advantage. And they tend to run to the open field. You know, a lot of the very harsh rhetoric right now is not actually aimed at the United States. It's actually aimed at what's called the global south because yeah. they're appealing to those countries and saying, well, you want to be with us and, and against the Americans. But the third thing, which is really, I think, important, and, and it's not a political comment because, you know, me, I'm, I'm not a political guy. I don't, I don't even belong to a political party. They see weakness in Joe Biden. And even in Ukraine, you have to remember, we're only only fighting in Ukraine because the Ukrainians didn't collapse and the Europeans stood up and Biden ran away in Afghanistan. And he was almost shamed into supporting Ukraine, which I I do believe is in our interest. But the Chinese see weakness in Biden. And every day they wake up and and they're, they're trying to figure out, how can I take advantage of that? Can I entice him one day to make him think we're not a threat? Can I threaten him the other day and scare him off? And so it's this confluence of things that's going on right now. So I really look at the, the latest Chinese wolf warrior diplomacy not as a sign of um, the things are you know spinning out of control, but as a sign of the Chinese are always looking at, you know, how can I put one over on Joe Biden?
1: Huh. Sir, I want to bring Taiwan into the conversation because while the Biden administration, uh, we've had numerous people, people on our show who have said the same thing, appears very weak on the world stage. There are some Republicans who are stepping up to the plate uh, to fill in some of that gap on diplomacy. One of them is our House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, who uh, we've heard a couple different reports testifying to the fact that he is going to be meeting with Taiwan's president in the U.S., possibly here in California at the Reagan Library. What do you expect to happen in that conversation and what what do you think will transpire?
6: Well, I think the the stronger we demonstrate our willingness to engage and help support the defense of Taiwan, actually, the, the, the more that raises the bar, for the Chinese But I, I will say in the end it, These diplomatic gestures are I don't know why we've, we ever s- stop doing this Like, we, we let the Chinese shame us Into not talking to who we want to is ridiculous But we I think we're past the point Where the diplomacy really matters And the Chinese pay attention to what we do Not what we say I'm not in the camp that thinks That China is going to attack Taiwan tomorrow When you do look at all the war games on this It's very clear that China can cross that sea They can land even and they can fight but but then they're kind of stuck there and if if the, and if the world comes against them like like they, the Russians in Ukraine they, they can't conquer Taiwan but that's today if we continue on the military trajectory we're over with China building up and us building down then 10 years from now that may not be true and China might never have to invade because they might actually get to the point where the time we say you know we can't defend ourselves and we have to just go go the way of Hong Kong so I'm all for stronger diplomacy, and I do think that not just the United States, but every country in the free world, that the more they engage with Taiwan, the more they make it difficult for the Chinese. But I got to be honest, on this particular issue, what's really going to make a difference is if the United States has the military capacity to to, to deter China, and that's, there's two parts to that. One is the Taiwanese have to be able to demonstrate the willingness and the capability to defend themselves, just like the Ukrainians who fought. But then it, it, the, the Chinese have to be clear that if the Chinese defend themselves and the Americans come to the right, we can't win. And that's the way to defer future war. And the number one issue on that is the size of our Navy, and particularly in the Pacific. Right. Having a Navy that can that can match the Chinese so they know they can't win.
0: All right, folks, that wraps up the Sunday Brunch edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Justin News. A big thank you to all of our guests, including Congressman Greg Murphy and Andy Biggs, former Congresswoman Meyer Flores, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, and, of course, James Carafano. He's always got a lot of great things on his plate. I uh, will also have a great show tomorrow. Be sure to tune in among the people joining us. Dr. Harvey Rich from Yale University. We'll have a lot more to talk about COVID, the origins in the state of public health. So check that out. And one more time, if you want to help solve the problem that we have more whistleblowers than we have reporters at Justin News right now, help us hire a few more reporters. Go to justthenews.com slash subscribe. Join the VIP club, $4.99 a month, $44.99 a year. We want to try to hire four more reporters in the next few weeks so we can dig up more of the Wrongdoing and malfeasance in government around this country and politics, and to do that, the money from the subscription club will go there. You'll not only get an ad-free experience if you join the club on justthenews.com, you'll also get a once-a-month opportunity to sit with me at a private town hall and ask questions for an hour. That's a great deal, so go check that out. All right, folks, we're going to call it a day. Happy Sunday. Enjoy the rest of the ba- basketball. It's what, the beginning of March Madness season. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from... Just the news. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34-plus plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it.